You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Uh, so I guess, Archie, I feel like I just want to say congratulations on 100 episodes of Commons. I'm a couple episodes behind you on that because I came in four or five episodes into the corruption season, but you've been doing this for 100 episodes. I feel like we've been doing it for about the same. I feel like those episodes don't particularly matter. Also, please don't go back and listen to those first few episodes. They're pretty (laughs) rough. (laughs) Yeah, um, I would have to agree with you on that. Let's talk about hockey. Well, you know, here in Toronto, it's like 37 degrees right now. So I think it's the best time to be talking about a sport played on ice. Right? This feels really appropriate to me. Yeah, it, we're in a very hot, small room and uh, <laughs> we're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess like maybe like, yeah, let's start there. Just like how is hockey different for you when we're approaching this, like from some of the other seasons that we've approached? The way we kind of talked about this season, both amongst ourselves and in some of these episodes, was as a kind of national religion for Canada. And I, it's totally true. You know, it is one of the few things that, you know, it doesn't unite everyone as like some of the beer commercials would want us to to think. But it certainly provides more of a language for people to, to speak across like different boundaries than a lot of other things. If we're interested in like what makes Canada Canada, it's unavoidable. You, you can't not talk about it. And obviously, over the last few years, hockey's been just racked with controversies. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm pretty glad that we that we did that season. I think that you're right. Like, you know, it's a sport, but it's also an industry and an important one. It's an industry, but it's also a culture. Right. And I think at the end, those two things meeting can lead to a lot of a lot of damage. Right. When it's it's something that's so close to people's hearts and people have a lot of money invested in it. 
maybe we would just like talk about some like the thought process of this season like why we organized it the way we did like we went right into covering the colored hockey league so like why was that important to you to start there well, for, for one, we always like to to give some historical context. And I think going back to the beginning of hockey's origins does reveal something important that one hockey in Canada hasn't always been just a game for for white people. Right. I mean, it was in a lot of ways the creation of a real melting pot of cultures. You know, I think the way we phrased something like that was like, you had Mi'kmaq sticks meeting kind of British field hockey, meeting kind of black innovation in this melting pot of Nova Scotia that really gave us the sport as we know it today. Uh, but I think the really important thing there is that I wanted to emphasize how much hockey and sport in general has always been a political terrain. It's not apolitical. It never has been. You can see that the Colored Hockey League was shut down because of an attempt to suppress the economic and cultural power of Nova Scotia's black community. It was an organized effort on multiple fronts. You destroy the league, you destroy their background, you destroy their economic resistance, and you take over the land. We had something very special there, and it was taken away. And it was taken away not just in 1906, 1908, when they shut these guys out of the leagues or out of the arenas for political and uh, economic purposes, but also years later when they sent the bulldozers into uh, Africville and they tore down what was left of the black communities. To me, that's one of the greatest tragedies of Canadian history is the loss of the Colored Hockey League and the loss of Africville and the loss of our understanding of the links that tie these families from the American Revolution all the way up to the present. Like that is essential to understand if we're going to actually be looking at the sport through a critical lens, because you still to this day have so many people, you know, just saying like, you know, shut up and just talk about the game when sports reporters actually cover all of these other issues. And it's interesting how they've slowly tried to drop in little bits of kind of political history into the overall hockey narrative. You know, Willie O'Ree for a long time, and and for those who don't know, Willie O'Ree was the first black player to play in the NHL. Uh, for a long time, his story wasn't acknowledged by the league, certainly not in a way that somebody like Jackie Robinson was um, in in the MLB. And obviously, they have very different, different legacies, so it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. But it was only in the last, you know, 25 years, I think it was, that Willie's story was even recognized. But now it's gone to the point where Willie's is the only story that's recognized as well. In our third episode, we talked to, to Bill Riley, who is the third black player in the NHL, alongside you know the second black player being Mike Marson, uh, his teammate on the Washington Capitals. And their stories don't really get told at all. They talk about Willie because Willie was number one, and that's right, and rightfully so. But what about the night Mike Myers and I made history against the Philadelphia Flyers? You know, I don't see that anywhere, and I and I never hear it. That is part of National Hockey League history. That's that is part of Black history. How come it's not recognized? How come you know it's not represented anywhere? Right. And there was this long stretch in between where there were no black players in the league. And that never gets acknowledged or talked about. And there's surprisingly little research around what happened 
during that time. I mean, not only I think all of that really interesting, but the narrative that the NHL and that the hockey establishment have been trying to craft around it. It's also just super fascinating and I think worth poking holes into because it doesn't really stand up to a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. No, I think that was probably one of the biggest things that surprised me when we were doing our early research. And I think it was something that comes up in uh, Game of Misconduct, which is Evan Morris and Jasmine Shaw's book about just kind of the 16 year resegregation of the NHL after Willie O'Ree. You know, there were so many aspects of like all these stories that we didn't really have time to say emphasize. I would just love for somebody to do like a documentary about that 1974 Capitals, Washington Capitals team that both Meg Marson and Bill Riley played for. Um, you know, it was an expansion team. It was the first time, first season um, that they were playing. And they're maybe the worst team in NHL <laughs> history. Like they were god awful. Um, one of the worst records of, of all time. But they had these black players on the ice. And like, I want to know. You know, what was the thinking behind that? Because somebody made an active decision there to let two black men on the ice for this brand new team in a way that others hadn't. And, and Bill, you know, points to specific people on the team in his life who who kind of um, gave him the opportunities uh, to be on that team. But like, I want to know what the discussions in the back office were like around that. And, you know, whether or not the fact it was an expansion team had anything to do with that, like if the NHL hadn't expanded, would black players still just have been excluded until who knows when, the 80s? I, I think that team is so, so interesting. And um, I would love for, for other people to kind of dig into it more. Is there a moment or episode that like stands out to you particularly? Is there something that you're really proud of here? I mean, I think Justin Davis was just such an incredibly honest interview. And you could just tell we featured him in our fourth episode. He was a former OHL player, got drafted into the NHL and, you know, by his own account, had a kind of like journeyman hockey career. Um, never really never played an NHL game, but, you know, played university hockey after played in Europe as well. And him just grappling with all the things that hockey both gave him and took away from him. Yeah, it was really special to get to talk to somebody who was really thinking hard through their experiences in that way. You watch LeBron James and these other people talk and they have personality and the hockey guys, it's, we had a great first period. We're really working hard. We're getting pucks in deep and uh, looking to have a great second period. And there's no personality and that's taken out of you. I mean, you spend every day with the same 20 guys in a dressing room without your parents. So you walk the same way, you talk the same way, you dress the same way. Everyone gets an SY, right? Like Millsy, Halsey. And you wear like the tapered track pants right now and uh, your hat backwards in your team jacket and you laugh at the same things. And the individuality of you is just broken down and taken away. So when you talk about hazing, now saying all this out loud, part of that is is taking away your individuality, right? Like it's, you're one of us now, we've all done this. And I don't think he's come to hard conclusions, you know? Even yeah. what was interesting there is like reading his book compared to actually talking to him. He's much angrier in in his book. You can really feel like he's he's grappling with something that's that's really tough for him. And I think in the the kind of um, months since it came out and the positive reception that he's gotten from it has softened his anger a little bit. That was the impression that I got at least speaking to him. 
And I found that also kind of interesting because I think he was feeling like he was going to get such a defensive reaction from the hockey world. He says it, in fact, many times in his book that, like, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say I was a crap player. They're going to say I wasn't good enough, that I'm just a whiner and all of this kind of stuff. And I think he actually got a very different kind of reception because uh, I do think that now there is a lot of desire amongst some people within the hockey world uh, to talk about these things and to change. You know, this, while the overall culture is still very resistant to change, and especially the institutions, right? When we're talking about the CHL and the NHL, Hockey Canada, um, all of those kinds of institutions are extremely unwilling to change. But I do think that individuals within hockey as a culture much more willing to talk about these kinds of things. And so here it was it was heartening to hear that, I don't know, that had, an, I, I think, a nice impact on, on Justin. And yet there was still so much that he has to, to kind of wrestle with. How do you feel the season contributed to the broader conversations around hockey that are happening right now? There's been this conversation over the last year about the Hockey Canada scandal, right? Basically accusations of a number of Canada men's junior team, uh, members of that gang raping a woman. Um, and then a cover-up that followed from, from Hockey Canada. And one of the things we wanted to look at is, you know, how do you get there? How do you get to a place where that is kind of normalized? And so we tried to do that over a number of episodes, both you know, the Justin Davis episode, the episode about David Frost and Mike Danton and uh, the episode looking at the issue of gang rape in hockey. And I think by taking, again, that kind of uh, broader perspective, it helps you kind of understand how that culture develops and how it's been passed down year after year after year after year, because this is not a new problem in hockey, as we highlighted in episode six, the number of gang rape accusations against either amateur or professional hockey teams is astounding. And the consistency with which these accusations um, have come about is is kind of jaw-dropping. And yet very few people are willing to talk about the root causes of the issue. When people do, they often get shunned. I think that was the experience of both Laura Robinson and Alexis Peters from the 90s. They were very much pushed aside when they were highlighting these specific issues. It's one bad apple. That's just boys being boys. That's just women consenting and then lying, making it up. These kinds of things were huge. And it was very much, this is just a woman who wants to trash hockey, trash men, and it's just one bad apple. There's nothing to this. Even today, we're not really willing, I think, to to have that discussion. Even the Hockey Canada scandal has, you know, really focused in on the the bureaucracy of Hockey Canada, and for good reason, because they they covered some shit up, right? And like mm-hmm. we're using fees to have a slush fund to to um, to pay off settlements for players who are accused of of sexual misconduct. You know, we're still, I don't think, have a a good discussion because it's a really uncomfortable discussion to have around, you know, how the sexual lives of like these kids are shaped and like how that basically leads to these kinds of group sexual assaults. What needs to change? What do you, what do you think? Like you spent seven episodes looking at this at this industry, at this civic religion. 
Oh, change change would be very easy in hockey, weirdly, I think. Like, I think, you know, in a lot of the things we cover, the conclusion is often like, oh, you know, this is really deep and it's it's going to be very difficult to change. I, I actually came away from this season feeling like, no, change would actually not be as hard as we think because hockey over the last 30 years has basically had two men running it. There's David Branch who today is the head of the OHL for a long time, was also the head of the CHL, and Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL. Those two men basically determine what this sport is. The amount of power that they have is enormous within this. And they've been dealing with these issues, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about sexual misconduct, or we're talking about concussions for a very long time. I mean... For for hockey, like the concussion crisis is going to come to it, like is is going to bite them one way or another. Sure, they were able to get away with barely paying a settlement to their previous players and still denying the very real science around what's happening inside people's heads when they get hit multiple times very hard and when they go on the ice to fight. But if if there's different people in those leadership positions because like let let me be clear i have no faith in either of those men they have proven themselves basically unworthy i think to be leading these institutions for a very long time um but if different people were in those positions i think they would have enormous ability to be able to affect the culture and the institutions um that that keep hockey kind of afloat it wouldn't be that hard I actually don't think because of the kind of centralized nature of this, because the NHL sits at the top and then right below it, you have these uh, major junior leagues. You know, there'd obviously be bureaucratic issues. And if you're the commissioner, you're still accountable to the owners. Yeah, I think one thing that you mentioned to me, uh, and I'm not sure that it came up in the season, is that, you know, if hockey is a religion, then it has popes and it's these men. Yeah. Absolutely. You you kind of have I mean Gary Bettman would probably be your 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 pope, right? Your I think I did actually call him the Pontifex Maximus <laughs> at some point in the season. You definitely did. Yeah, sorry. You know, obviously I'm really into Roman history, so those references come out occasionally. David Branch would be his like Secretary of State. It would be, you know, an archbishop. I think yeah, Secretary of State would be higher in the just thinking in the Catholic hierarchy. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLand.com. This episode was produced by me, Noor Azria, and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Annette Ejifor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglesi. And our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, 
And more than anything else, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.